If you turn your Bibles to Job chapter 5, Job chapter 5, tonight's message is a little bit different than one I would normally, normally bring. Normally I like to start in a passage and stay within that passage as much as I possibly can, but tonight we're going to be doing a bit of a topical message, a bit of a word study tonight, and the thought of it is the thought of happiness. We're going to be examining the word happiness in the Word of God tonight. And if you've been in church any length of time, I'm I'm sure you've heard the the difference between happiness and joy. And often in our culture today, we almost throw them around as synonyms, but they're not. And joy, if you're familiar with it, joy is something that comes from inside. It's something that comes from within our heart, within our lives, and it is not affected by anything that happens to us around us. As Christians we know that joy in our lives comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And we can have that joy no matter what's going on around us. But almost in direct opposite to that, happiness is a result of external circumstances. The joy comes from the inside, but happiness for you and I comes from something that happens to us. If I could put it this way, joy is something happening in us, Happiness is something happening to us. And I think often we talk about joy, and joy is extremely important. We know that the joy of the Lord is our strength, but we forget about happiness. And the Bible speaks a great deal about happiness. And tonight we're going to be going through the Bible. We're starting in Job, and we'll be working left to right. We'll be examining some of these thoughts on biblical happiness. Biblical happiness. Before we jump in, I'm just going to mention... Uh, the first mention of the word happy comes in Genesis 30:13, And while it isn't a rule across the board, often when you look at the first mention of a word, you get a good idea of how it's used throughout the rest of the Bible. And it says there, this is speaking of uh, the story of Jacob, and we're not going to get into the story tonight, but it says, Genesis 30:13, And Leah said, happy, and, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed, and she called his name Asher. The context there is that she has a son, and that son brings happiness to her. And so with that thought that it's an external circumstance, a child, that brings her happiness. So with that thought of what happiness is, an external influence that brings happiness in our lives, we're going to look at nine thoughts tonight. Don't get scared when I say nine. We're going to be moving very quickly. If I said we had two points, we'd be here all night. But we have nine, so we're going to be moving quickly through them all. All right, so here we go. We'll see what the Word of God says about happiness in our lives. We're in Job chapter 5. Look with me at verse 17. It says, Job 5.17, says, Behold, happy, there's our word, happy is the man, watch this, whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not the chastening of the Lord. The first thought of happiness that we're looking at is not one that normally springs to my mind when I think of what makes me happy. If you were to ask me to make a list of the top five things that make me happy, chastening, correction, almost definitely would not make that list. It's not something that we look at and it brings us happiness. But Job says here, happy is the man whom God corrected. And correction is a funny thing because while we don't like it when it's happening to us, What it tells us is that that person cares for us. There's been times, whether it's been a parent in my life or a teacher or something like that, where somebody's come to me and said, I've seen this, I've seen that, 
is not a good thing. And while I don't necessarily like that, I'm happy knowing that they care enough about me that they're willing to look out for me and point that out. Hebrews chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, tells us that for whom the Lord, watch this, loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth everyone whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth, dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? When we have God's correction in our life, that tells us that we are his child. That tells us that he loves us. And he's interested in making sure that we're on the right path. So while the correction, the chastening in itself may not be enjoyable, the knowledge that it shows that God loves us should bring happiness to us as Christians. Job says that, behold, happy is the man whom the Lord correcteth. Number two, we're moving forward, we're moving left to right. Turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 144. We'll look at two verses here. The first one we'll be looking at is in 144. And if you're there, we're looking in verse 15. It's the last verse of the chapter. It says, Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. I'm sure many of us are very familiar with this. We hear that verse a lot. But number, first of all, happiness comes from correction. Number two, happiness comes from having God as our Lord comes from having God as our Lord. And we're going to get into why that should bring us happiness. Look over in verse one, or excuse me, chapter 146. This tells us why having God as our Lord brings happiness. 146 verse 5 says, Happy, there's our word, Happy is he who hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. God is our hope and our help. If you're saved here tonight, then God is your Lord. And when He's your Lord, He is also your hope and your help. We'll look at those two things as to why those bring us happiness. We'll look, first of all, at help. Look back at uh, 144, where we were just a moment ago. Verse 11, this is David writing here. He says, Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right, hook, right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Note that when David was writing this passage, he was not yet delivered. He was asking God for deliverance, but he said, God is my Lord, and so I have that help. He is my help. It had not yet come to pass, but he was hoping in that. Now, note that David had a temporary hope. A temporary hope. Verse 12 down through 14, we're not going to read it, But David is talking about all sorts of physical things. He's talking about their sons, their daughters, their oxen, their crops, things like that. David was, he was hoping for physical help. But you and I today, we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. 1 Corinthians says that if in this, verse, uh, chapter 15 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. David, David's hope 
was that God would meet his physical needs. But you and I have a hope tonight that he will meet our eternal needs. We have a hope that because he is risen from the dead, that we will rise with him too. So David had this hope, and we have this hope tonight. And it was also his help. 146.5 said, Happy is he who hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. And I want to look at that help real quick. Hebrews chapter 13 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So if you're saved here tonight, and God is your Lord, He is both your hope and He is your help. He is that hope of eternal life. Because He rose from the dead, we shall rise too. He is that hope. And He is also that help. That we don't have to be afraid of what man can do unto us. So for a Christian, happiness comes from knowing who our Lord is. Number one, we saw our correction. It shows us that we are God's sons and daughters. He loves us. Number two, happiness is who our Lord is. Number three, turn a book over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three. As you read the book of Proverbs... Almost the entire first half of the book is discussing wisdom, is discussing getting wisdom. And we see that number three, happiness, comes from getting wisdom. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. It says there, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Skip down just a couple verses to verse 18. She, this is speaking of wisdom, personified... She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. There are a few things I think more there are a few things in this life more frustrating than not knowing what to do, than not knowing where to go, not knowing what's our next move. And God not only gives us a book of wisdom in Proverbs, He gives us the whole counsel of God, He gives us wisdom in His book. Not only does He do that, but he says, if you're confused on that, he says, just ask me. James chapter 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. God doesn't want us to be confused. Remember, God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't want us not to have direction. God doesn't want us not to know where to go. He wants us to have wisdom. And he says, with wisdom, he says, when you know what to do, that brings happiness. That brings happiness. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Have you ever been there where you're not sure, you know, you could fill any uh, situation in this blank, but you're not sure where, it's, where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and then you finally get that answer. And it's such a relief, such peace that comes from that. God wants us to have that. He doesn't want us tossed with uncertainty. He wants us to have wisdom, and he offers it to us freely. He says, just ask. He says, happiness is getting wisdom. Number four, also in Proverbs, stay in the book, just a couple chapter over, chapters over. Chapter 14, Proverbs chapter 14. You saw happiness comes from God's correction in our lives. It shows us that He loves us. Happiness comes from knowing who our Lord is, that He is our hope and our help. Happiness comes from getting wisdom, getting direction. Look at me at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21. It says there, 
He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest tonight. I'm the kind of person that when I'm driving through a city and I see someone standing on the side of the road with a sign asking for money, in my heart, honestly, my first reaction is skepticism. My first reaction is, oh, I bet they really don't need the money. I bet they're just a scam. And you know, I've been convicted by that. Because elsewhere in Proverbs, it says, when you despise the poor, you reproach your maker. And maybe it is a scam. Maybe they're just looking for a free handout. I don't know. That's not for me to judge. But I don't want to be guilty of reproaching God. I don't want to be guilty of turning a blind eye to the poor in need. I'm reminded of what Jesus said. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And on the same thought, James writes in chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I know within my own heart, I have to do a better job of looking for the poor, of being a help to the poor. But, you know, when I think of the word poor, I hear the word poor, and automatically my first thought goes to financially poor. My first thought goes to somebody on the side of the road looking for a handout. And, yes, that is poor. But there are so many other poor people in this world. Maybe they're not financially poor. That doesn't necessarily make a difference. But I think of all the people without Christ. They are poor spiritually, You know, I think of what uh, Peter and John said in Acts when they saw that man who was asking for money at the beautiful gate. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And they didn't have the money to give him, but they gave him what he truly needed, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through our lives, as we go through our, our days, we need to have our eyes open for those who are spiritually poor. There are people who are looking for Christ. There are people who need him, and when we ignore them, the Bible says we reproach our maker. But not only spiritually poor, talking about salvation, but in our current day and age, there's so many people dealing with stress, there's so many people dealing with anxiety, fear, there's people who are emotionally poor, and we have the answers in the word of God. And so, yes, we're talking about um, giving to the poor, and yes, it may be financially, But it also could be your time. It also could be your effort. It could be your love. It could be the gospel. Whatever that person needs. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we minister to people who are in need, when we minister to people who are poor, whether that's whatever point on that spectrum, the Bible says that that is a source of happiness for the Christian may not have money, but we can give what we have, and that's Christ. We can give what we have, and that's us. That's our love. That's our time. Happiness, number four, is taking care of the poor. Moving on, we're still staying in Proverbs chapter 16, just a couple chapters over. A lot of good advice in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 20 says, Proverbs 16:20 says, He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy 
is key. I mentioned a few points ago, we talked about wisdom and how God will give us that wisdom, but so often it doesn't come right away. So often that direction doesn't always come right when we want it. And that's where this trust in God comes in. That's where this trust comes in, this waiting. And it's so easy when we pray for direction, we pray for wisdom, and it doesn't come right away that we panic. And we start making our own plans, and we start trying to figure out what our next move should be and how we're going to handle it. When in reality, God just wants us to trust Him. And when we have that trust, we have that peace, and we have that happiness. We can't control everything around us, and so sometimes when we try to do that, it brings the exact opposite of happiness. But when we sit back and we say, God, you're in control. You lead me. You guide me. You're in control of the circumstances around me. That thought brings happiness to a Christian. That brings happiness to a Christian. Next, happiness is trusting the Lord. I want you to notice also, happiness is fearing the Lord. Skip down to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. We saw number one, happiness is the Lord's correction. It tells us that we are loved by Him. It tells us that we are His children. Happiness is knowing who our God is. That He is both our hope and our help. Happiness is getting wisdom, that direction, that confidence that we have God guiding us. Happiness is caring for the poor. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Happiness is trusting the Lord, waiting on Him. Isaiah says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And here in Proverbs 28, we see that happiness is fearing the Lord. Verse 14 says, Happy, there's our word, Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. That's Proverbs 28. 14, I want you to look at the verse before that. Verse 13 says, and this is important to this verse, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And then our next verse says, Happy is he that feareth always. We can't have proper fear of the Lord when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. We can't have a proper fear of the Lord. We can't have a proper uh, uh, reverence, uh, proper respect for our God, when we have a hard heart and when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. When we confess and forsake those sins, like verse 13 says, and we don't harden our hearts, then we have a right relationship with God. And when we have a right relationship with God, that brings happiness to the Christian. For a Christian to be odds at God is miserable for the Christian. For a Christian to have sin in their life is miserable for the Christian. But when there's a right relationship, when there's a soft heart, when there's confessing, forsaking sin, then happiness can be yours and happiness can be mine. One more in Proverbs, one chapter over, 29. And this one sort of ties in with the one before it. We'll look at two verses for this one. So happiness is fearing the Lord. And this one, we'll see that happiness comes from obedience. Happiness comes from obedience. Chapter 29, verse 18. 
says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So often I think we focus on the first half of that verse, and it's a very important verse. We need vision, but we can't forget the second half. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. And that law, of course, is referring to the Word of God. It's referring to the Word of God. And you don't need to keep that passage anymore. But turn to the book of John, our first New Testament passage. On the same point that happiness is obedience, Proverbs says, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. Jesus says a similar statement in the book of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus speaking here says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I mentioned it just a moment before, but the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who is living in sin. Because as a Christian, you can't enjoy that sin because you have the Spirit of God on the inside convicting you, saying this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But at the same time, you can't enjoy the things of God Because you're living in sin. You're in between. There's no happiness anywhere to be found. But contrary to that, when we live in obedience to God, when we live in obedience to the Spirit, when we live in obedience to the Word of God and His leading, then we have the peace of God. Then we have that happiness. Jesus says, happy are ye if ye do them, if ye follow His commandments. Jesus said elsewhere, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Obedience is such an important thing. And in all reality, every single one of these points that we're going over tonight could be summed up under just this one. Obedience. 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 And so often we forget the simplest things. We're not called to figure everything out. We're not called to, to, to do everything ourselves. We're just called to be obedient to the Word of God. And when we're obedient to the Word of God, then Jesus Himself says, that we will be happy. We will be happy. Number seven, moving on, Romans chapter 14. This is a bit of an interesting one here. Romans chapter 14. We'll look at... uh, Romans 14, verse 22. Verse 22. It says there, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. And here's our part. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which, thou, which he alloweth. Romans chapter 14 here is discussing what I like to call gray areas. It's discussing areas in particular in this context. It's talking about meat offered to idols. This was a big deal for them because often in the markets they would be selling meat that had been previously offered to heathen gods. And there was a big discussion saying, was it right to eat this meat? And Paul said, hey, look, the gods are nothing. They have no power. The meat offered to them, it's not any different than any other meat. And what he said was this. He said, If the Holy Spirit convicts you about it, don't eat it. He says, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict convict you about it, 
eat it, and don't worry about it. And so in this area, we're talking about gray areas, areas that are not specifically discussed in the Bible. And in these areas, we are to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want you to see, uh, look back in that same chapter, Romans 14. Paul talks a great deal about personal accountability in this chapter. Romans chapter 14, verse 3 says, Let not him that eateth, referring to that meat, eateth, despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Skip down to verse 5. It says, For one man esteemeth one day above another, uh, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And then look at verse 11 through 13, possibly the most well-known portion of this passage. It says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let, not therefore, let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So what Paul says here, he says at the end of the day, every single one of us is personally accountable to God. We're going to stand by ourselves before Christ, and we're going to give an account for what we do. So when it comes to these areas, these gray areas, areas not specifically addressed, he says, just remember, you're giving in a personal account for yourself and for no one else. For no one else. You know, I, when I was thinking of this topic of gray areas, one of the first areas that came to my mind was that of music. And in our uh, Christian culture today, there's a lot of divide on that. And the Bible doesn't necessarily say, listen to this and don't listen to this. Listen to this group and don't listen to this group. It says in Ephesians, speaking to yourselves in songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Right? That's more or less the extent of the direction we are given. And so what Paul says here is that I'm supposed to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. You're supposed to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not to look at me and I'm not to look at you and criticize what you're doing. And so here's the thing where we come to the happiness. When we know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do in a certain area, and we ignore it. And we ignore it. Paul says, Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And so when we have these areas where the Holy Spirit is leading us, and we ignore it, then we don't have happiness. It's almost... It's very similar to when a Christian is sinning and they don't have that joy, they don't have that happiness. There's been times in my life where there's been certain music that I've listened to and you would listen to it and you might say, oh, there's nothing wrong with it at all, but the Holy Spirit said, that's not right, I don't want you listening to that. And there's been different things where I might have been watching something or something and you might watch it and not have a problem at all and there's nothing necessarily sinful or wrong about it, but the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you watching that. And you know what, once he said that to me, I could no longer watch that with peace. I could no longer watch it. But at the same time, I couldn't have that relationship with God when I was watching it because I knew it was wrong. And Paul says when it comes to these areas, he says if you want to be happy, you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The unhappiness comes when we ignore that leading. So for this point, I call it happiness is having a clear conscience. Not necessarily... Uh, straight-up sinful things, but allowing the Lord to lead us and guide us in those little areas that we might not even think about. But they make a big difference when it comes to us living for God. Happiness is a clear conscience. 
Number eight, moving on, turn to the book of James. We read a couple passages from the book of James earlier. We're looking at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 11 says, Behold, we count them, here's our word, happy, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. He was living right. He was doing right. And God allowed Satan to bring horrible trials into his life. He lost all his wealth, all his, all his belongings, all his children, his health, everything he owned, everything he had, everything he possessed, gone. Just like that. But James here says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard the patience of Job and have seen, watch this, the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. If you know the book of Job, you know that it doesn't end with him losing everything. It ends with the Lord coming through and giving everything he had back and more. And what James is saying here, he says, happy are ye that endure. Why? Not because the trial is so amazing, but because the Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. The end of it says the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Happiness doesn't necessarily come from the trial, but it comes from the knowledge that the Lord is merciful to you and I as we go through that trial. And we have the knowledge that He is working that for our good. He is working that for our greater help. He is working that for His glory. We count them happy that's endure. Let me encourage you, if you're going through a trial tonight, whatever it might be, endure. Endure. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. And then, finally... Our last one tonight is a bit of a doozy. 1 Peter chapter 3. One book over. 1 Peter chapter 3. We have two verses on the same, same subject in the same book. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll read verse 14. Here we go. It says there, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, Happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Skip over one chapter to 1 Peter 4.14. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now I want you to think with me, who is writing these words? The Apostle Peter. You read through the book of Acts. He was imprisoned multiple times, beaten multiple times. He ended his life crucified upside down. You think of who he was writing to. The early Christians under the tyrannical thumb of the Roman government. Great persecution. And he says, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And it doesn't really make sense until we see the end of verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. 
And it says there, For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Watch this. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, I think we can all agree that what you and I go through on a daily basis is not much to what these early Christians went through. I'm not necessarily trying to make that comparison because I do know that we do go through some level of persecution if you try and take a stand for Christ. The point is this. The point is that the happiness comes from the realization that we are bringing glory to God. That we are bringing glory to God. It says there, but on your part, He is glorified. When somebody slams a door in your face if you're trying to uh, go out door knocking, somebody cusses you out for trying to give them a track, if somebody cuts off contact with you for standing up for Christ, that hurts. That's persecution. But he is glorified because you stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy are ye if ye be, uh, verse 14 says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. And when we have the opportunities to share Christ, and we have the opportunities to get that reproach, we shouldn't run from that. You know, Jesus didn't run from the cross when it was offered to him. He could have. He could have turned his back on it. We shouldn't run from confrontation when it comes to standing up for Christ. We shouldn't run from uh, handing out gospel tracts. We shouldn't run from sharing the gospel. Because whatever the response is, Jesus is glorified. I want you to think about that with me. Whatever the response to your witnessing is, Jesus is glorified. If they get saved and they trust Christ, obviously he gets glorified. It says the angels rejoice in heaven. If they turn you away and they mock you and they persecute you, this verse says he still gets the glory. So if you're looking to bring glory to Christ, and if I'm looking to bring glory to him, then the best thing I can do is get out and share the gospel. Because whatever the result is, he's glorified. First Peter says that, Happy are ye if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. And as we went through these, there was several of them that, man, I looked at and I thought, I don't necessarily look at those things as a source of happiness for me. And in conclusion here, I have two thoughts sort of to bring this into a practical application of what we can do with this study on happiness. And the first one is specifically with this. The second one is a little more general. But the first one is that this. Our emotions are a part of us. We cannot separate them from who we are. But as Christians, our responsibility is to glorify God with our emotions. And speaking with happiness, if the only times that you and I get happiness is if in the same times when everybody else in the world gets happy, God doesn't get any glory from that. You know, if I get happy because my favorite sports team wins tonight, you know what, the 100,000 fans of that sports team are also happy. If I get happy when I get, when I get to go on vacation or whatever, great. Everybody else who gets to go on vacation gets happy at that point. But it's when our happiness comes from something different. When our happiness comes from something that the world looks at and says, why is that bringing you happiness? Why are you being happy? Why are you happy? when you're being mocked at work for reading your Bible? Why are you happy when the chastening of God is upon you? When our happiness comes from that, then God gets the glory. Then God gets lifted up. 
because it's something different from what the world sees. It's only when we get our happiness from something that the world looks strangely at that we glorify God. If my source of happiness is the same thing as the world, God doesn't get lifted up. And so the first thought is let's examine where our happiness comes from. You know, I mentioned if my favorite sports team wins tonight, yes, that will make me happy for about 30 seconds and then I'll move on with my life. And if we're honest, that's so often where we look at for happiness. But I don't want my main source of happiness to come from the world. I don't want my main source of happiness to come from, you know, Hollywood or or Washington, D.C. or anything like that. I want my happiness to come from what the Word of God says that my happiness should come from. The second thought, it's a little more general, but it may be the most helpful of the whole, the whole message. And it's again on this thought of emotions. And we've been talking about happiness tonight. But so often in my life, I've been guilty of letting my emotions lead me and I just follow behind. We're talking about happiness, but that could be anything. It could be fear, it could be worry, it could be pride, it could be fill in the blank. I've been guilty of letting my emotions lead me, and I just follow along. And when we do that, we get into trouble real quick. We get into trouble real quick. What we should be doing with our emotions, because we have them and they're very real, what we should be doing with our emotions is subjecting them to the Word of God, letting the Word of God lead our emotions and then we follow behind. And we talked about happiness tonight, but like I mentioned, you could fill in the blank whether you're struggling with whatever, fear, anxiety, worry. Look at what the Bible has to say about that. Look at what the Bible has to say about fear. Do a word study on the word fear. See what God says about fear. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that God has not given us the spirit of fear. And you could go on and on and on down the line of, how God does not want us to be afraid, and fill in the blank with whatever emotion. When we live our lives letting our emotions lead, that's how the world lives. The world lives in a place where they see something, they want it, they just go get it. They don't, there's, no, there's no control. They're being led by their emotions. That's the only thing they have to lead them. That's the only thing there is to lead. But we have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside you and living inside me. And when it comes to our emotions, again, we've been talking about happiness tonight, but subject it all to the Word of God. I heard an illustration once that we're like a train, and some people, their, uh, their emotions are the engine, and their mind is the caboose. Wherever their emotion goes... That's where they go to. And then I heard it. It was a uh, secular example that I heard. And, and the person was saying that your mind should be the engine and uh, your emotion should be the, the caboose. Wherever your mind goes, that's where your emotion goes. But I present a third option. As Christians, I don't want my mind leading me where I'm going either. I want the Word of God to be the engine. And then I want my emotions to be the very last bit. I want the Word of God to be leading me where I should be going. And so, we're talking about happiness tonight. And as I was putting this together, I was convicted where I'm getting my happiness from. Where I'm getting my happiness from. I want to glorify God with my emotions. I want to glorify God 
with my happiness. I want to make a difference in the world. And where we draw our joy, where we draw our pleasure from, they see that. They see that. If the only thing you're talking about tomorrow at work is the football game this afternoon, then your happiness is coming from that football game. But when we're talking about the Word of God, when we're talking about what God did in our heart, then our happiness is coming from a source that can glorify God. So that's my prayer for you tonight. And that's what I've been doing. I've been examining my heart to see where I've been out of balance, where I've been letting my emotions lead, where I've been letting my source of happiness be something that doesn't bring glory to God. Go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, and we thank you for your word. God, and I pray that each one of us, we'd allow your word to lead us. We'd allow your word to guide us. God, and I pray that we'd be a people who are not led by our emotions, but we're led by your spirit and we're led by your word. God, and I pray you'd be honored and I pray you'd be glorified in every aspect of my life, God. I want you to get the glory. I believe that everyone here does too. Lord, so I pray that you take control of our hearts. I pray you take control of our minds, God. And I pray you lead us where you would have us go. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.